Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up. And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Hungry dogs run fast. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. Sheila Capati here, joined by ace producer Cliff Augustine, and back to break down the film as he's going to do every week. He's looking pretty fresh, I think. I don't know. It's early in the season. We'll see what he looks like. Uh, Week 10, week 11, Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. Sean, how's it going, my friend? Sheil, I'm doing great. You know, Cliff threw some allegations last week. He wasn't sure were we going to be able to grind the film in time. Of course, Monday night game, quick turnaround. Mm. But I'm happy to say, <laughs> you know, you know, we, we got there on time. We made it. So I'm excited for this one. Come on, man. You, you can't do that. I, listen, I know you guys are workers. I know you guys are always grinding the film. I didn't expect anything less, especially from a guy like you, Sean. It's been rave reviews about you on the pod. Everybody loves you on here. So we got to keep the ball rolling. Appreciate you. Clint. No, he, you know he said he said especially from you, Sean. For me, he was like, "Well, yeah, it's Shield being like a prima donna and being like, nah, let's push nah. it back a day. I need my beauty rest or something." I caught that cliff. It's all right. Nah, come all on, right. man. Listen, I know you went through the tape. I know you watched it like four or five different times. I watched a couple little reruns myself. So yeah, I me. Mean, I know you're ready to go, man. I know you're ready to get after. There you go. We'll get more from Cliff in the second segment after Sean. We'll talk some Phillies clinching. I have a feeling he's going to be throwing out some wild uh, Drew Holiday hypothetical trades. We'll see if he's got any of those for us. But uh, let's do it, Sean. Let's get to the film. We're going to talk about the offense, Eagles offensive performance against the Bucs. Then we'll do the defense. Then we'll look ahead to this game against the commander. So uh, offensive performance, my sense just from doing, you know, some radio hits and being a man about town is that people are still kind of like, you know, this offense isn't quite what we expected it to be. If you look at it statistically, 472 yards, third most in a start with Jalen Hurts, 27 first downs, tied for second in a start with Jalen Hurts, second highest success rate in 21 starts with Jalen Hurts. So to me, there's like a lot of encouraging stuff um, from that game. Let's start with the run game and then we'll get to Hurts in the passing game, Sean. They run 40 times for 201 yards. What stood out to you uh, with the way they were able to run the football against Tampa in that game? In week two, we saw the Eagles run inside zone after inside zone and really attack the Vikings downhill. 
What I liked in week three was they took a little bit more of a wide zone or outside zone approach with DeAndre Swift. They also did use some inside zone and sprinkled in counter. But outside zone, usually the running back, their path, it's further to the outside than inside zone. Some teams, they have their aiming point kind of at the tight end. And the offense's goal, as opposed to an inside zone where it is to really get vertical, the offense kind of wants to stretch the de- like half of the defense to the outside and then cut the backside off and give the running back a lane to get up there. And it's much more of a feel and vision-based thing. It is really hard, I think, for, for running backs and for, for anyone, even when you're looking at it. It's so quick and happens at a really rapid pace because they're reading one gap at a time. Is this an open space? Is this an open space? And Swift looked comfortable doing it. So I was encouraged by that because it gives the Eagles just another way to attack a defense. Now let's force some of those linebackers getting horizontal, make them get out to the sidelines. And it was, you know, it was a good day for DeAndre Swift. Yeah, more variety for sure. I mean, we came on here last week and we're like, all right, the run game, inside zone, inside zone, inside zone, inside zone, more inside zone on your way to just hammering the Vikings. Uh, and like you said, this was different. I mean, I think it was his first run was was an outside zone uh, run. And then, uh, like you mentioned, they're doing some outside zone, they're doing some inside zone, and then they get to those gap schemes more in the second half. So more variety, more creativity. It doesn't mean that Hey, it was wrong the previous week. If you can do the same thing over and over again, go for it. But uh, you know that that's not going to be doable against every team in the NFL. So yeah, I like that uh, that variety there as well. Also, used quite a bit of pistol. I think it was uh, eleven carries out of pistol. Is that just uh, you know? I remember from the the Chip Kelly days. It was like, why aren't they using pistol? Because defenses were getting a tell if the back is offset to the right. He's probably running to the left if he's offset to the left. He's probably running to the right. Uh, is that the main thing with pistol having the back behind the quarterback so you don't uh, give up that tell or are there other things you like about using that? Yeah, I think pistol gives the quarterback also a lot of different options in the run game because you don't know which side they're going to open up to. So sometimes at the college level more, they'll have their how they fit the run depend on where the quarterback is turning to. So it gives you a little bit of flexibility there. It can be better sometimes in the past game where you have a just pistol is a half shotgun so you can maybe see the defense a little bit better it to me it's it's just another way to have variety but what i like about the eagles is when they run their inside zone say the running backs on jalen hurts is left it looks like they're running to the right but really it's meant to kind of just cut back to that left side and stay the same way but then outside zone would be going to the right so they have the ability to attack pretty much every single gap in a really successful way so pistol just another way to add to it but even from the shotgun i think they're the Eagles are, are more than happy to get to their runs in a lot of different ways. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, talking about him specifically and moving past the run scheme a little bit. Uh, I was just really impressed. I mean, he is like, he's different than the guy I thought the Eagles were getting. Now it's a small sample. He didn't play the first week. We're talking about the last two weeks here, but he's second in the NFL. The only Christian McCaffrey, 308 rushing yards. 6.8 yards. I mean, the numbers are bananas. Again, it's small sample. It's not going to stay like this, but 6.8 yards per carry. First in success rate, Sean, there are 31 players with at least 30 carries. The difference between uh, between DeAndre Swift and number two, Raheem Mostert, is the same as the difference between Mostert and number 20, Javante Williams. So this is just like off the charts type uh, efficiency. What stood out to me is it's less like make you miss, you know, in the open field. It's it, what stood out is when he gets that second level, 
and he's hitting it and like linebackers are there. Like he is just racing past them to a higher degree than I thought we saw from Miles Sanders last year than we've seen from Kenny Gainwell. The stat I keep giving out is that Swift has three carries of 20 plus yards in three games. Kenny Gainwell's been here for three years and he has one carry of 20 plus yards. That's not like Kenny Gainwell stinks. It's just like he is an efficient get what's there runner. And DeAndre Swift is making some of those five, six, seven yard runs into like 18, 19, 20 yard runs. What kind of stands out to you specifically uh, with the way he's running the football? Also, I think DeAndre Swift has had no tackled for a loss place. So that is just awesome to feel like every time we give DeAndre Swift the ball, we're not going backwards. So we don't need to feel like we're behind the chains in any sort of way. And I know you always bring the stats here, but some of the data scientists that I was going to say, (laughs) this is why, I mean, this is why people love you. I try to come up with a good, you come in, it wasn't even in our shared Google doc and you come in, bam, now that's one I can steal uh, the rest of the week. So nice job out of you. That's why the people love you. The, you know, the fine folks at Sumer, they put together (laughs) these player tables and on the running back table, because it's really hard to separate well, who is really to give all the credit? Is it the offensive lineman? Is it the running back? Now, I would say, why can't we just all be happy and give everyone credit? But even <laughs> if you think, oh, the offensive line is paving the way, which they are, objectively. DeAndre Swift, he's second in a metric called just yards created per carry. So that just tries to isolate what is the running back bringing to the run, given how the open running lanes are and what we might expect kind of an average running back to get. So I like that he was able to get it in those outside runs. Of course, those things are going to be block independent, but you can supercharge your run schemes by having a running back that I think is playing like DeAndre Swift. So it's it's succeeding and showing high level traits behind an offensive line that is mauling people. And I know we had a listener ask about Cam Jurgens, who, for the record, I think his Instagram handle is Beef Jurgy for Cam Jurgens. So fantastic, <laughs> just just. Just great, great. I think he had an official sponsorship. Yeah. I think in college. (laughs) Like that's really I think that's an actual thing. Yeah. It's not just like a play on words. I think I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Okay. Well that I mean, there we go. That that that's what we're about, you know. And I think (laughs) he does such a good job with Jason Kelsey and that center to guard finding out how those double teams work. Of course, I know the question starts with DeAndre Swift and I immediately get to offensive linemen because you can't separate them. And having Jurgens, who's obviously a young up and comer next to Kelsey, who is just a no doubt Hall of Famer. Sheila, you know, I would be honored if people would look at me and think I was Cam Jurgens next to your Jason Kelsey. Wouldn't be mad at that <laughs> at all. You know, if we can get our Eagles offensive linemen all, all hammered out here. There you go. Beef Shawnee, beef side. I'm trying to think of like what that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll workshop that uh, a little bit. No, I thought Cam Jurgens, yeah, was definitely good um, in the run game. You know, I, I wouldn't say this like, I wasn't like blown away, like, oh my gosh, this is his coming out. I mean, all their run, their run blocking is so good. Like, it's, just, it's like you said in the last show, it's just like to have all these guys coordinated to say, here's the front. We have 15 seconds to decide how we want to block this. Kelsey's pointing stuff out. Here's the run scheme. Okay, get it. And then to not have mistakes. Like, again, it is so, so uh, uncommon just from like having watched other teams in the past uh, for a team to be executing at this level. It's just, uh, it's just really impressive. No doubt about it. All right. Let's get to the passing game. Uh, Let's start with the scheme before we get to Jalen Hurts. Uh, We talked about this last week that, hey, maybe a little bit more of it's man on one side, zone on the, like more answers for uh, Jalen Hurts, more stuff. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily more volume, but a little more creativity. What did you think of sort of the passing game, uh, the way the Eagles executed and maybe how it differed from the first two weeks of the season? I was happy with the passing concepts in this game. I was 
maybe a little critical last week, and I think rightfully so. Be, That's they good. Did, yeah. You're too. You're a little too nice. See, I mean, you're like you're nice. You're recent. You're nuanced. And I'm like, wait a minute. Aren't we? We're supposed to just come on here and either say someone is the greatest or rip them for being <laughs> terrible. So that that's good. You know, we'll get some of that. We'll get some of that out of you as the uh, as the shows go on. I think the the good thing is we can <laughs> we can look at week three and then we can look back at week two and then we can criticize because we saw how it improved. There you so go. They didn't have to reinvent the wheel. They found different ways to still get to those same concepts, but overall the offense just had more options. So they were still running that dagger concept, which we're just gonna I'm sure talk about through the end of the season where you have a clear out vertical and you have you're running a dig kind of a deep in cut into space and you know last week or against the vikings that was really all Jalen hurts was able to look at and get to it gets intercepted then this week they run that same concept but this time they have it where there's two tight ends on the other side we got a route coming from there to stop any underneath defenders kind of dropping back and then there's also another route where hurts can go if there's any kind of problems front side so i loved it because we're not just saying, hey, we're going to go win one-on-one every time. It's making the job a little bit easier by having more realistic options that can succeed. So instead of just saying, we're going to throw to this one receiver, we know where, we know where it's going. If it doesn't work, hey, Hurts, go make a play. Now we can look at option two, option three. And just having small things like have A.J. Brown running the dig instead of being the, the kind of runoff guy. I think that was something that helped him get involved early. So on, on film, I think, Brian Johnson deserves the praise, made little tweaks that frustrated, I think, both of us in week two. I think it's going to pay off down the road. And then even something small like using DeAndre Swift on a screen. To me, it shows me that they see him as a weapon. They got two different flood concepts where usually when you think of the layers of a defense and zone coverage, think of a deep cornerback and then usually a linebacker underneath. So that's two vertical layers. If you send three routes there, you're flooding their coverage with your routes and they can't covered all the time so where we didn't get to see a ton of dallas goddard 15 yard outcuts into open space they at least were running those that makes me think okay brian johnson is he's thoughtful here which of, I, I i don't think that was ever in question we but didn't just deny it yeah yeah just more on film that makes me feel encouraged that they watched their tape they had a little bit of extra time going into monday now on week three got to more successful plays and i think it's going to continue to pay dividends going down the road yeah, I think it was one of the first plays of the game where they hit uh, AJ Brown. He, he and I, I forget. I think it was Stoll. We were running kind of like that mesh uh, in the middle of the field, and and you gave me another little GVA that that was a good verse anything uh, concept you said right because obviously good the mesh is good we got we got to get our good co- verse our coach all. speak right oh, out God. here you know, i was gonna Dang it. i right. had different coach speak for you know <laughs> if it was a loss if it was for a win it was gonna be you know it was gonna be different just just for the record adversity uh presents opportunity was the coach speak of the week in case it was a loss but we'll we'll, we'll save that for whenever that happens <laughs> there you go so uh the mesh is obviously good against man coverage. You know, Stoll uh, bumped off uh, whoever was covering AJ Brown. He gets some space and has a catch there. But you were saying like that, that would have been good again. They, they had another uh, concept there within that that would have been good uh, if it was zone, right? You were saying with that play? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, against against zone for mesh there, you have the ability to settle down into that space. And exactly, I w- we saw that so early on. It's great that they had more opportunities for yards after the catch. 
clearly involved getting AJ Brown and those super cool highlighter cleats that we saw early. I know he changed them, but we got to see them for a few snaps. And when you, you have know what I off- noticed <laughs> with, with those cleats real quick, it, it's the, the last play of the first half. Uh, AJ Brown is running like a, like a deep out or a, a deep corner. And they're trying to take one shot, you know, before they kick the field goal. He breaks out. He slips on that bad boy and it nearly results in an intercept. Like watching live, I was like, what is Hurts doing here? Brown slipped coming out of his break. That could have been like a huge... We could have been leading the show with A.J. Brown's cleats if that's an interception that swings the game and they don't score there. So yeah, I think, listen, sometimes you watch film and I don't get to all the stuff that Sean gets to, but I get to the little stuff like that. Like, I think that's why he changed his cleats. Uh, there was a play in the second half where like Lane Johnson pancaked a guy, but as the guy was falling down, he kind of kicked him. We in the Kapati household, we call him the nuts. I don't know what you know other households. Uh, we have two kids, so you know you call him the nut when a baseball player hits him. Like yeah, oh, they got hit in the nuts. So uh, Lane Johnson got kicked in the nuts. Poor guy, and like his teammates looked very concerned. <laughs> and then he played on the next play. So well, listen, while Sean's looking for the cons passing concept, I'm looking for this stuff so that at least I can bring something to the table. Chill. It's it's. Another important thing where we also continue need to push the narrative of all games should be played in a dome. All the owners should pay for the domes. And I don't want people outside. We got Jalen Hurts. He's got a runny nose. And people are saying he had the flu in in his post-game press conference. Maybe that's the outdoors. Look, I I grew up in northern New Jersey. said it a few times ago. But I cannot take the cold. I don't want football players playing outside in the weather. You know, obviously, the Eagles have that awesome Lincoln financial field. They'll maul you no matter what the circumstances are, but let those guys wear the nice cleats. I don't need any runny noses at the post-game press conference. Let's keep everyone warm, keep everyone dry. There you go. I for, I interrupted you on something. Now I don't even remember uh, what it was. I sometimes, listen, sometimes I got to get out the good stuff like the Lane Johnson thing. Do you remember what you were saying or should I just move on to the next Absolutely thing? not, Shield. But I do think it's a, it's a good time to go to, to Jalen Hurts and his, his runny nose. I think overall with Hurts, I was encouraged. I think every single game, I know that no matter what team it is, people are going to focus. Well, how is our quarterback doing? What's going on there? I do think it was Hertz's best performance on film. So to me, he is trending up, which I don't think anyone's pretending like he played at an MVP level, even though he had that MVP throw uh, to Zacchaeus for that touchdown. But no one wants to peak in week three, right? We don't want people looking back at Philly special and saying Sean was good, but he just went downhill after the Bucks game. (laughs) And I think it's it's important that we can't blame Jalen Hurts when his first read is open. He does not choose if a, a wide receiver is open. So I don't think that there, if there's a criticism, oh, he's not getting to his second and third read. Well, who cares if AJ Brown is just open all the time? That That's not something yeah. that you have to worry about. And it's this game was interesting where one of your first notes week one was, hey, let's look at the dropbacks where we thought maybe he bailed. And then the week two, Similar, we want to think about, well, is he bailing here? To me, even if you want to, if you think that's a problem, there's just less snaps where we can really debate that now. Where there was one where I thought, you know, I would love for easy for me from here, dry, clean, not with the flu to what I know, to say maybe, you know, you can throw that one. But there's just less examples of him having those circumstances where we can fight about, oh, he bailed, he didn't bail, which that's encouraging. And then very clearly, when you have that big throw to Zacchaeus, he is trusting his offensive line. He is looking downfield and he is, his eyes still aren't looking down to the rush. He doesn't seem super uncomfortable. So I think it's it's the best film of what he's had. I'm not saying it's perfect film. No one's going to pretend like that. And he'll always say the standard is the standard, which that's another favorite uh, coach speak for me. But it's it's <laughs> continuing to build on that. Let's not have our best performance in week three. Comfortable with the offensive line. We can go win. 
I do like this. I'm going to ask you for like one year. You're, you know, I think you're going to have to bring one to the table uh, every week here, whether, you know, it can be coach speak. It can be like film grinder talk. You know, like a, I love like a BYOB, you know, be your own blocker. I remember first time I heard that, I think was from our friend Coach Flynn um, at Princeton now. And I was like, oh God, that's awesome. BYOB. Like I've gone my whole life, you know, not even knowing that that was a thing. So I'm, I'm going to, yeah, mix those in as much as you can. <laughs> that way our audience, when they're watching, can yell some of these things out. Uh, let's take a quick break. I want to come back in a second and talk a little bit more about Jalen Hurts. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Let's see, looking at the week four slate, I kind of like the Rams a little bit, plus one and a half at Indianapolis, but I've been getting burned by the Colts. So you might want to go in a different direction. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And FanDuel is now live in Kentucky. Download the app now and take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly Special Shield Kapadia, joined by Sean Zayed. Uh, I agree with you on Hertz. I actually felt as I was like taking a step back, I'm like, it felt to me like they were really close to having like a big game here. You know, like they had what uh, two touchdowns to AJ, two near touchdowns to AJ Brown. One that's a little high because he's got to get Hertz has to get it uh, over the safety there. Another one on the right side where honestly watching on film, I couldn't tell if the defender got a hand on it or if Brown just dropped it, but that was uh, a really close one. So I feel like they were close on a couple of those. Um, and I'm with you. Like a lot of this game was, Hey, they're playing with two backup corners. They're playing off coverage. We have AJ Brown. He's good with the ball in his hands. Just go run a, a comeback route and then make something happen. And that worked great. Like, it's a nice, like, I think it's important to point out, like, it's, we, at least I, and, and I would hear, anxious to hear your thoughts on this, but like, you want a mix of the simple stuff that works. And then like a little bit more of the complex stuff where you say, hey, if the simple stuff isn't working, let's make sure our quarterback has answers, right? Like it doesn't, you don't need to have the most complicated playbook. You know, it, some weeks you can have a simple playbook, but it's about kind of having a mix. I thought this game was a pretty good illustration of that. I absolutely agree. And all Jalen Hurts can do is the job that's in front of him. And I think it's very clear that every single team does not have that offensive line, does not have the, those same set of weapons. But who cares? Like, it's Hurts in that yeah. offense. And again, just encouraged by what I'm seeing. And I'm just going to, I feel like I'm the encouragement eagle over here. going to keep saying the word encourage because it is not <laughs> perfect yet. And I agree with you in that it doesn't have to be the most complex playbook. And candidly, teams across the league, it's not that they have super, super complex playbooks. It's that, <laughs> let's throw another coach speak real quick. The illusion of complexity is a favorite one. Mm, Basically, like you're, that one. You're, you're using your core concepts, but it looks like it's different things to the defense. So you can run the same exact play six different ways. And you know on your end, look, we have practiced this. I know what the reads are. I know how to get into my drop. I know how to get my steps. I know where the receiver is going to be. 
but then you run it from a stack. Then you run a motion with it. And that just makes life a little bit more difficult for the defense where defense is so hard. They have to be responsive to different things. So as long as, you know, Hertz is doing the job and he's probably not going to have to be asked to throw for 400 yards. You know, if you get to 472, that sounds like a great, great number to me with what seems just like a, a really, really strong rushing attack that you're hopefully able to sustain. You know, it might be that we just don't see a whole ton of Jalen Hurts down by 14 in the third quarter, have to drop back all the time. And I would argue that you should be glad because why would you ever want to have to have to go through that? Right. You want to be winning these games all the time. Well, as uh, as, uh, you know, friend of the pod, uh, Dan McQuaid, who is a great uh, I don't even know how to. Yeah, he should be like the mayor of Philadelphia. But he says like the perfect Eagles win is or the perfect Eagles game is when they win, but you still have enough to complain about. So that's why, you know, to, you'll you'll learn the psyche uh, of the Eagles fan as, as we do this podcast. But I think that's part of it. Uh, statistically, uh, this was would have qualified as an above average start for Hertz in terms of success rate if we compare it to all of 2022, which I think would probably surprise some people. You know, if you're just going snap by snap when he dropped back, did good things happen? It was better than uh, more games than fewer games from last year. Now, obviously, uh, we had the two interceptions. So let's talk about those real quick. The one to DeAndre Swift. It looked like DeAndre Swift was kind of setting up that uh, linebacker for a choice route. He breaks inside. Not what Jalen Hurts was expecting him to do. Uh, he throws it. He has a pressure in his face on that play. Throws an interception. And then the second one uh, goes deep to Devontae Smith. The cornerback makes a fantastic play. I didn't have a big problem with either one. Like the first one, like the first one is a big story. If they lose the game by three or lose the game by seven, you're going, how can that happen? All right, DeAndre Swift, we're probably coming on here and say, DeAndre Swift ran the ball well, but look at it. He screwed Jalen Hurts on that play and that cost him the game. So that context is definitely uh, important. And the second one, I mean, I thought the throw was there. I liked that he was aggressive. We've seen Devontae Smith make contested catches. I thought it was a great play by the defensive back. Uh, what did you think of those two interceptions specifically? Yeah, on the first interception, just the clear miscommunication. Someone is likely wrong there. And the defense did a good job, right? Sometimes Vitavea is going to get a pass rush on you. And that is okay. He is an incredible player with incredible strength and in- incredible agility, actually. But that was able to speed it up. And some teams will run that to the front side. They're running a specific combination. And some teams on the back side will run they're running back on a choice route some teams will just have them settle down it might have been a situation where because the defense sent an extra defender to pressure then Hertz is expecting the running back to settle down but of course Swift is Mm. on his release I mean he's going to cook that linebacker in space he's going to be wide open but that changes the picture so to me that's just a miscommunication that can get settled out and I was on the DeAndre Swift point I think he did a pretty good job in pass coverage throughout the game so that was really important to me to see well this can be a third down running back where we can now run DeAndre Swift on some of those if that was a choice route, make it a choice route because he can beat linebackers in space and agreed on that second one. I mean, I was fine taking that shot. They're going to have opportunities where the defense knows that they want to stop this rushing attack. AJ Brown's running a little in cut. The defense is prioritizing stopping that. The safety settles down a little bit. And I mean, that's going to be like one of the best interceptions we see all year. So I know. Yeah. Week, yeah. Week one, I stood up for the throw to AJ Brown. I'm going to stand up for that one. That's fine. I'm going to keep on saying we're going to get one of those until we get there uh, because we will. We will. I think I, w- I like that he's still <laughs> taking those shots. I do want to talk about the red zone real quick. I think that that was one of the initial things that right away I thought, oh, man, red zone success. That was something we had an issue with a little bit in week one, a little bit in week two. Is that piling on? I think there were one for five in the red zone. When I watched it, there yeah. was the fourth and one play that maybe we can talk about in a second. 
there was an RPO penalty that ended up a third down, third and 15. That's obviously tough to get. There was a field goal at half. There was running the push sneak twice. There was the one situation where they got a little cute running that fake push sneak. And then there was the game ender. So on a rewatch, the one for five, it didn't feel as bad. That's going to be a place that we continue to look where I think that the the other good old team in the NFC East is having a little bit of red zone struggles too. But it may just be, hey, we can continue to run the ball down your throat even when we're inside the 20. But another one I want to track. Yeah, no, I, I was with you there too. I th- It felt like they were just a little off. Like, like. Most teams do not, even if you're a good red zone offense by the end of the season, like you will have a game here and there uh, where it doesn't look good. And uh, I, I felt the same way. Like I, I think the one AJ Brown uh, one, that that was another one, right? One or two of those were in the red zone as well, where if that's just like a little, like uh, we're talking inches here, uh, then one of those is a touchdown. And we're maybe we're saying, hey, they're three for five uh, in the red zone. And it's not that uh, not that big of a, of a deal. Now, what did you think of the short yardage? Uh, I think it was the first possession they had a fourth and one uh, down there that got stopped. What did, what did you see, if anything, interesting uh, on that play? That one was personally unfortunate for me because that's like the exact play that I was clamoring for and saying, hey, I want you to run this specific <laughs> thing where we have a tight end kind of sliding across from the backfield into the flat. And, you know, look, maybe there's a reason why I'm not uh, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. But the defense was really well prepared for it. The defensive end, you know, they were able to stop Hurts from pulling the ball. And as a quarterback, you're taught if you really, if it's kind of a muddy read, you're really never wrong handing it off because the worst case is you pull it right into the defense. But I do think they'll they'll be able to continue to build on that. And I, I mean, I hope I'm right that that's an awesome play. It was awesome for them last year. So I do think they'll yeah. find different ways to get to it. They'll add on having Devontae Smith running kind of a little quick route off of that. But I mean, we got to see the push sneak as much as as much as we needed to yesterday i always love seeing the narratives we'll hopefully continue to see the eagles do it like not every team can do that i have no problem saying that we see examples of other teams doing it unsuccessfully i want to see a team like do a reverse push sneak on defense though where they have their defensive tackle and then they just kind of kind of push him forward because i mean you can't really do anything about it so someone someone get creative and now that's interesting so like so like Devin White behind Vita, you know, Devin White and Levante David behind Vita Vea. And they're like, all right, they're going to push sneak. We're going to put We're going to give it right back to him. <laughs> Ball snap. Bam. And they put, oh my God, like just thinking about that is like giving me a headache. Like it's, it looks so painful when Kelsey gets up from those. I'm like, he's just got to be thinking like, can we get like a backup center in here? Like I, I don't, I want it to come back for all the fun stuff, the locker room hijinks, you know, we get to the Super Bowl. I did not want to come back to just be getting as slow as I can and like burrowing my head against this large, large man and then barely being able to, uh, to get up. So what, what do you think the wrinkle, what's the wrinkle off the, like, what were they trying to do? Could you even tell the wrinkle off the push sneak? Or if you had to say, Hey, look out for this, in future weeks if they do a like i don't i don't i don't remember seeing a wrinkle off the push i know they did some last year where they'll do like the flip to the running back but just kind of the way they were doing it with jalen hurts there where he's keeping the ball uh what do you think was actually coming if he didn't trip i think he was just faking like he was going and then was just kind of almost like a good old tim tebow jump pass where he's going to kind of almost jump and lay it up to the tight end that's what it looked like for my end, I do love yeah. the pitch or um, the pitch off of it. I think the first time I saw it, yeah, I was like, oh man, nice. they're building the entire offense off of this one thing. <laughs> I do think one thing that I really liked is they ran it once where it wasn't on a silent count, but like Hertz gets into his regular snap count, yes. like says hut, and then pauses for a second, and then Kelsey snaps after that. 
it was it was pretty cool because I was almost even taken aback. I was like, oh, they're just doing this to maybe try and draw the defense off sides. The defense has this false sense of security is that we've survived one more time without having to see this. And then Kelsey snaps it. And that's so hard because it's such a timing-based play and the quarterback has to have a good feel for it where we know that the ball is going to hit our hands at a certain point. So that was even a nice small wrinkle within the game where you take a, a really, really core concept at this point and this is another thing on the defensive end you got to worry about. Yeah, that was awesome. I, I love that. Uh, watching it live. I've called for teams for years. Listen, the conservative teams out there, the, the Josh, I'm sorry to take a shot at Josh McDaniels, other teams, uh, like go up, pretend, pretend like you're just trying to draw them off sides, have everyone look real sad, like shoot, they didn't fall for it. And then you snap the ball and then they're not expecting it. Like they think they've won the down because no one jumped off sides, but then no, you actually are snapping it and you call the play. So sorry, I got a little excited about that. You know, sometimes I have an idea that uh, I, I get passionate about there. All right. So we got the two interceptions. We talked about those. Uh, he had a snap early. I don't know if that was the play you were talking about, but uh, it was a drop eight from the Bucks. We obviously saw that a lot from Minnesota where they didn't have success. He just kind of stood in there and hit somebody in the middle. I think it was Goddard in the middle of the field. So like you said, you want to see something from the previous week that they weren't so good at. You want to see, well, what did they do to become better at that? And that was, uh, I think, on the first or second possession. So that that was uh, encouraging. The touchdown throw to Zacchaeus that you mentioned earlier. I mean, that is just like, 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 what did you see there? That was just a high level, like, okay, the quarterback has the goods when he, you know, he can still kind of hit that ceiling that we saw last year, right? I mean, that is a high degree of difficulty play and, and, and throw. That was one of those plays where you're watching and you're just like, no, 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 yes. And then you hear everyone, everyone <laughs> celebrating at home. That was, that was really, really cool to see. Because that was an example of Hertz. I mean, you can't say he didn't stay in the pocket for that, right? He felt like he was there forever. It felt like it felt really cool to see him continue to look downfield. And that was an example where I think Devontae Smith's crosser gets taken by a safety. So if you're the third receiver in that offense, I mean, that is that's a good, that's a fun spot to be in because there's just less resources for the defense to devote to you. So it was a great chance, you know, hit a, hit a big play against a defense where they had it rotated to have two guys over AJ Brown. The offensive line did a pretty good job passing off stunts. And I, it's always cool when you see a quarterback throw it just like a tick before he gets hit. It feels like they have a superpower in doing that. So just, I mean, just hats off. Like you, you gotta, you gotta be encouraged every time you see that. Cause you know, it's still there. It's not that he doesn't have the ability to make plays like that. Yeah. So overall, I think step in the right direction. There's a little kind of stuff that's just a bit off the AJ Brown stuff that there was the throw to Goddard where he thought Goddard was going to sit and Goddard continues to break it inside. So it looks like a wild throw to the right side. There was the interception where miscommunication with Swift. So like you said, not perfect. But these seem like little hiccups that if they get corrected one of these weeks, we're going to see, you know, a 35, 40 point output. And we're going to say, OK, uh, that's what it really looked like last year. Uh, what else did I have? Any, uh, last note, A.J. Brown, you mentioned yards after the catch. Most yards after the catch in an Eagles uniform for A.J. Brown in that game, 73 yards. And some of those you're just like, all right, comeback route, stiff arms a guy. And it's just off for like 12, 15 uh, extra yards. So I like that they got him the ball early. Uh, I think they should continue to do that. Really every game I would have like two plays, AJ Brown, 
We're probably going to throw it to you regardless of the coverage. Let's just make sure this guy is invested in the rest of the game. Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, uh, they're they're a little more low maintenance where they'll get in uh, later in the game. I know you pointed Devontae Smith, not a big game numbers wise, but man, some beautiful routes. The one he had there uh, on the right side, just creating separate. I feel like he's like the film grinders wide receiver, right? You probably have text threads that are just like Devontae Smith. Oh my God, like sending a, send a clip out there, right? Yeah, Devonta Smith, he is he is so, so good. It's awesome to see, you know, he represents for all of the slim people out there. I'm I'm proud of that for being considering myself one of them. And seeing AJ Brown have those yak opportunities, that's really important. All offenses can't create opportunities for their their receivers to have that. And then it of course makes you think, you know, between me and you, who's AJ Brown, who's Devontae Smith? I mm. think I would say. Not not ability wise, but I'm probably more of the AJ Brown. Hey, we need to get him involved early. We need to get him to his spots. <laughs> and then you're you're more Devontae Smith because if the trains are running on time, you know, as long as as long as the team team wins, it seems like you're you're all fine for it. So that that's how I would break that up. But real quick, also want to just mention, I thought they had a good use of tempo where teams, you know, we, you think of the Chip Kelly days where it's just about going hyperspeed. Teams also you can get to the line really quick force the defense to show their hand and then slow down from there where it's you're getting an advantage that way. I like that they did that early on where you're running multiple different concepts out of that two tight end set. You're keeping the defense's base defense on the field so they can't get an extra more of a pass defender in that nickel cornerback spot. And that put, gives another advantage. So just another lever that I felt that the Eagles offense was pulling to help them succeed. There you go. In terms of who's I, yeah, I mean, I feel like you would definitely be more like a, a more refined route runner paying more attention to detail. See, I, I would be good with the Devontae Smith, like, you know, low maintenance approach if I had that like second contract in hand. Like, it's impressive that he's doing it before he's, once that happens, it's like, okay, the cash, you know, the checks are still cashing. Uh, I don't care if I get the ball uh, or not there. So I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to get on cliffs. Workout routine that's a little tougher here uh, in season. There is a, a photo that I don't know where it originated from. Uh, a previous might have been when I was on Birds with Friends or somewhere. Someone put my head on Austin Eckler's uh, body shirtless. So uh, I don't know if that's what you think I look like. Then I would obviously be the AJ Brown in that scenario. So we'll get that. We'll get that uh, figured out for sure. All right, let's move to the defense. Statistically, their fourth best game in terms of success rate since the start of the 2022 season, by far their best performance of 2023, uh, fifth best performance in terms of EPA per drive since the start of 2022, gave up just 12 first downs, 174 yards, uh, second fewest yards they've allowed in the past two seasons behind only that NFC championship game uh, against Josh Johnson and the 49ers. So, uh, a good performance is a fun, this is a fun defense to watch on film. We said it in the first two weeks, even when some of the numbers and it was like, Ooh, Kirk Cousins threw for 350 or whatever. It's like, no, I kind of like what I'm seeing from them. Uh, I think they're, they're going to play well here. Uh, let's start with Sean Desai, kind of a, what did we learn uh, segment? Because I know there's a lot of questions out there about how's this defense going to be different? What is his defensive philosophy? What did you learn this week about uh, Sean Desai and how he wants to run a defense? Last week, it was really all about those coverages. And this week, we have to focus on the fronts. Desai used a variety of fronts, whether that's from their regular base 3-4 look or a 5-1 front that's from a grouping that the Fangio tree calls Penny or another fun name, the Magic Front, where it's three down linemen and then you have some a pass rusher kind of roaming around in a position that they call the X, 
or some people call it the X backer or the X position. So just just fun names there. And you know the defense that was dealt- Redick, right? When, when we if saw I remember correctly, that I, one, I'm yeah, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, he yeah. was kind of standing behind like the nose tackle, and you weren't sure. It's almost like an off-ball linebacker uh, blitzing. Okay, so that's that's called the uh, X backer, and that's a Magic from. That's beautiful. I, I actually had no idea. I saw you in our notes right now, Magic, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. We'll ask him, <laughs> and he'll explain it uh, during the podcast. So okay, that's cool. The X backer, I like that. And to me, he sees his front as a real weapon to attack offenses, which that is encouraging. It's not just let's line up our players and play ball, which that has merit at some points when you think you're just better than the other team. And then I think he did a pretty good job dealing with those injuries on the back end where they started out with a third safety playing that nickel spot. That's maybe sometimes a little bit better against the run. And then later on, they had to move Bradbury in there. I like that when the Buccaneers went to their bunch sets, right, those three receivers kind of close together. In week one, the Eagles had a pretty clear problem with that against the Patriots, and they were able to deal with that a lot better. So you want to see, okay, these early season mistakes, they're getting hammered out and cleaned up. So it felt like this defense is obviously a defense that is watching film and improving. Slay was moved around a little bit situationally. I don't, he wasn't really following Evans. It seemed like uh, Slay still has a side that he prefers, which I think that that's more than fine. So it was good to see Desai is an adaptable defensive coordinator. He is going to figure out things that are pretty game plan specific, which of course, every single defensive coordinator wants to do that. But not every defensive coordinator has those. It's not even five guys up front. I feel like every week it's a new guy getting a sack that I got to open up the the Eagles roster on NFL.com and be like, okay, let me look up that number, that name. So it's, (laughs) it's, it's a real gift for all those Eagles players. Yeah, I mean, they, they are so deep up front. Like, you look at the snap, and especially in a game like this where the Bucks had, what, like 40-something snaps in this game, and it was like, oh, you're looking at snap counts. Oh, Jalen Carter only played 20-something snaps? Why? Oh, okay, well, I you're remembering. All right, well, they weren't on the field that much, but yeah, uh, those guys rotating in, I mean, I think it's going to help them later in the season when you're talking about our guys fresh come playoff time, come December, um, having that rotation early in the season for sure. So yeah, that that was fun to see those different fronts that Sean Desai used in this game, no doubt about it. Uh, one question I wanted to ask you about uh, was about their run defense because uh, everything we know about the sort of Fangio tree and you just see it on film with Desai, like they're starting a lot of these snaps with two deep safeties. Now, whether they're planning to rotate or what those guys' jobs are after the ball is snapped, they're not starting with that extra safety in the box. And that's like at the core of football discourse with stopping the run. Is the safe, is the extra safety in the box or is he not in the box? Well, if it's a light box, you run the ball. If it's not, uh, obviously, I know it's more complex than that, but that's kind of a, at the core of it is where is that second safety. Now, the Eagles have allowed a league low 145 rushing yards through three games. 3.0 yards per carry, no run longer than 12 yards so far. Like the the run defense has been awesome. So how are they accomplishing that type of success while still playing a lot of these snaps with those two deep safeties? A lot of those things, it just starts up front. You can be more creative on the back end when you can devote less resources inside when you have guys like Jordan Davis, who I'm almost always going to be comfortable with him against a double team. So I don't need to bring an extra player. But as you said, when you look at those two high safety looks, it can really feel like the box is light. Like there's just six players there. We don't have enough. But on the TV copy, you can't see the safeties. Reed Blankenship is coming downhill. He is coming down there fast and he is going to fill that space, which that was really encouraging to have. Well, I really do say encouraging a lot, Shield. Maybe I'm just an an encouraged person. (laughs) 
But you're a positive guy. There's no doubt about it. It's making sometimes it makes me uncomfortable, but it's probably a good a good balance here. You know, some people call yeah. me sort of a miserable. <laughs> I don't enjoy anything. I'm a curmudgeon. So I, I think this is good for good for the podcast. Yeah, we have we have scorigami <laughs> and uh, curmudgeon we've mentioned later. But those those two high safety looks where a, a safety if you were drawing up what the run defense is supposed to look like. One way to do it is three linebackers get specific letters. One way to do it is two linebackers and a safety. So it it fits out the same. But something that Desai does, I think some of the other guys on the tree don't do as much. He's more than happy to blitz on early downs. He'll send the linebacker and people think, oh, like that just is a way to send pressure. But what it does is it changes your whole entire defensive front. So you're starting in a four down look and a linebacker is attacking one of those gaps. That becomes a five down look. So that's how they run Mm. fit a lot of their other stuff it changes what the blocking scheme is supposed to be for the offense and it's really hard to run the ball because you kind of need to win all those matchups or have your running back make up for something you just kind of need to win one matchup on the defensive end and the eagles do that pretty pretty well so i like that desai is more than happy to rotate into a maybe we would call a a regular size box not light or heavy but where it's not encouraging the offense necessarily to run it can maybe have that feel but teams that are going to run on those early downs the eagles are more than happy to get you behind the sticks force you into third and long and get those players with their hands in the dirt getting after the quarterback yeah well that that makes sense we saw all those things i mean jordan davis sometimes his head up right against the center so i assume he's uh two gapping there and controlling uh both those gaps, you saw Reed Blankenship fired downhill, I think, and had uh, a tackle for loss. And then those linebacker run blitzes. So that's just like, hey, like Zach Cunningham had a lot of stops against the run early on. That's kind of, You're saying that's kind of just like pick a gap, go attack it. You're responsible for it. Um, and that's what we're going to do on, on an early down. I haven't had a lot of like... Um, discussions or uh or, you know r- run blitzing is not like in my uh in my repertoire so uh is, is it as simple as that or kind of what do you see with those like you said with the linebackers i would say it's it's maybe a little bit more thoughtful than just go hey run there but again it's <laughs> okay. it's getting from one front into another front so they call it like building fronts where you have you have a four down look it becomes a five down look after the snap and that changes the way the offense has to block it changes it makes you more comfortable on defense and it's never a bad idea to send line or it may be a bad idea sometimes but linebackers that are comfortable blitzing that can get maybe the center guard double team that we love from the eagles maybe it just you know they have to get off that quicker but they can't because they have to deal with jalen carter in that way so it's a creative way to maybe not hide your linebackers but say you're an you're an incredible athlete go play fast so they don't have to be kind of rocking back and forth and feeling the whole entire where is the run bouncing out to now we're attacking you on the offensive line and you're going to play on our terms which is it's hard to do that as a defense the eagles have played three defenses that want to do that and the eagles can do that in more not conservative ways but they don't have to blitz nine guys for to be able to do that yeah no no doubt it was uh you, you saw cunningham like i said on a lot of those uh, against the run making plays in there Jordan Davis I thought was great uh, against the run in this game and, and like you said it's a team effort you you write down kind of a different name a lot of times uh, on these run stops man the run defense has been really good so far all right some other individual performances Jalen Carter Sean is just like week after week doing stuff where you're just like oh my goodness this is his third um, NFL game here you know he had the two play sequence the one where he and Fletcher Cox uh, have the sack and he comes back and punches the ball out uh, on the next play. 
Um, there was a third and seven that we both wanted to talk about where they had kind of a five down front uh, and Jalen Carter's lined up over the nose tackle. Uh, and I think that was a play where Baker Mayfield kind of stepped up and launched one downfield and Nolan Smith uh, killed him as he was releasing the ball. Uh, so those plays or just Jalen Carter specifically, what kind of stood out to you? Yeah, Jalen Carter, I, all the big, the biggest and baddest comparisons are going to continue to be thrown out because, I mean, he's, <laughs> all of his pressure numbers are crazy high. He's just beating blockers constantly. And that makes life so much easier for really everyone. The linebacker's job is a little bit easier if the offensive line can't get a double team up to them. The linebacker stays clean. And then the coverage unit is a little bit more comfortable where, where maybe they can play a little bit more aggressive knowing that the offense is not going to have three full seconds to throw the ball. They're just not going to be able to develop the longest kind of furthest down the field passing concepts with that line coming at you. And I love that one snap where shout out to another uh, Twitter li- listener. Uh, they mentioned it and it was so cool to see it right away with the Carter on the nose. I think it was Cox and sweat at the kind of defensive tackles and then Nolan Smith and Reddick on the edge. If I remember and when you put five defensive linemen over the five offensive linemen, one thing you do, it's called a 5-0 call is one way that people say it. Basically, it's just like man-to-man defense for the offensive line. So each offensive lineman is responsible for the defensive line across from them. And one way to beat that is saying, we are better than you. We're going to go ahead and take that, take advantage of that. Another way is you get into your stunts and your picks where now the offensive linemen have to communicate it at light speed. And it lets Jalen Carter or one of those other guys just rip inside and they can go full speed and only worry about half the offensive lineman because the offensive line it's it's a weak link system so you want to have five really really solid links if you have maybe a squeaky wheel at one spot maybe it's your center maybe it's your left guard the eagles are going to find that and they have the ability to attack it in different ways they can beat you one-on-one they can beat you with stunts sean desai knows that and i would just love to be in that defensive line meeting room they i'm sure they have a group chat they're they're telling who's got the most sacks. They're they're maybe maybe we need to get better on the celebration end. Those guys are just taking care of business, but a real real fun group to watch. Yeah, there's uh, I mean it's 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 at the core uh, of everything. It's it's so rare to see them just like line up four guys and they just rush. Like that is not how this defense operates. Like they're always doing something, whether it's a different front, whether it's a stunt, whether it's a simulated pressure, whether it's a blitz, like they are doing all kinds of things to make life harder for um, opposing offensive lines. And and that's just through three games. So that's been really fun to see. Uh, You mentioned the kind of slot operation earlier. We weren't sure what they were going to do. So yes, Sidney Brown is seeing some snaps there in big nickel. James Bradbury slides inside. I think Bradbury gave up a third down completion to Godwin, but uh, I think that was pretty much it. I mean, I I thought he was fine uh, in there and that's against a very good wide receiver in Chris Godwin. So that was good to see. I would expect that to probably be the norm here. Going forward, you made the good point that, you know, teams might, instead of saying, hey, let's attack the, you know, James Bradbury in the slot, Josh Job on the outside. You know, he had uh, some ups and downs in this game. He gave up the long completion uh, the week before. So that could be something we continue to see where they say, all right, if Job's coming in and nickel and he's lining up on the outside, maybe you try to get your best guy uh, against him and take some shots if he's uh, one-on-one there. Uh, just with their coverages, John, it feels like uh, I would be curious to hear if if this is accurate based on what you're seeing or not but when they're in zone and they're matching it just seems like it's more advanced than i thought it was going to be at this point in the season where they're like 
it's it's not spot dropping. Obviously, they're they're getting to their zones and then they're plastering to guys and they're forcing the quarterback to hold on to the football. I think there was one where Bradbury, uh, Mike Evans is in his zone. He's all over him. Mayfield has to move on to his next read. Next thing you know, uh, Fletcher Cox and Jalen Carter are sacking him. I mean, what do you kind of see on that end of it in terms of the way they're matching these routes um, in their zone coverages? An uh, oversimplified way to look at it is two different kinds of zone coverage. There's spot drop, as you said, which literally a player is dropping to a spot. They are turning to look at the quarterback and they're using their vision off of where the quarterback is looking to then break on the ball. And there's a lot of merit to it. You see it every Sunday. You're going to continue to see it every Sunday. And maybe maybe we consider it more advanced, but more of a match zone, which teams do all the time. But you're kind of dropping to a spot and then you're feeling, well, is my receiver breaking inside is the other receiver breaking outside. And basically the defensive coverage is morphing based on what the offense presents. And that is really, really important to have the ability to do because it lets it forces the offense into different things. They can't just say, we know that your player is going to drop into this area and we can attack by sending a player high and a player low. So in this game, yeah, Bradbury was in that nickel spot a lot and he was carrying routes. And that's maybe a small thing just to say, but the ability to match routes and have linebackers where they're happy to pass things off back and forth. I do think it was kind of advanced for, for week three where it's, you're going to see teams struggle with that because it's so hard to do when at the college level, a lot of teams are able to do it because you can be a little bit more physical with receivers. You can't just hold receivers up in the NFL. Like you're, they're going to throw flags as they may probably, they should whatever. I root for the defense more than the offense, but that's not important, but it was cool to see This is just a different way to play out zone coverage where we have a better ability to deal with the offense is giving us. And it's going to be harder for the quarterback to understand when the same exact coverage call looks like four different things based on four different offensive plays. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's impressive because it's a new coaching staff. It's a new scheme also because they're like new players in there. You know, Bradbury was already out one week. Avante Maddox uh, is out for the season. Justin Evans went out in this game. Reed Blankenship has already missed a game like other than Darius Slay. I think everybody in the, yeah, everybody in the secondary, right, has missed um, some time at some point through the first three weeks of the season. And so that kind of, hey, we're all on a string. I know what you're thinking. Here's how we did it in practice. We're past, like, that's harder to do when you haven't had all those reps together and you haven't seen a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff together. So uh, I'm pretty uh, impressed by that through three weeks of the season. Uh, Blankenship, read Blankenship, Sean, that interception, that was a nice interception. Uh, he had take us through kind of what you saw there as he's, you know, playing on one side, sees the inbreaker uh, on the other side, doesn't hesitate and comes up with the pick. That one was a great one. And lo- I loved seeing Reed Blankenship make that play. So the Bucks, they have a jet motion going from one side of the field to the other side of the field. And then they're switching the release of two receivers, attacking vertically, and then also are sending a running back. So it's a kind of four verts, but you have, uh, you have a running back now as part of that. And the defense, the way that Reed Blankenship was playing, he's playing the inside quarter to the other side of the field, where to that side of the field, it's it's halves. And there is a technique called tricks where your responsibility is really to take the vertical release of the third receiver. It releases some stress on linebackers. To me, it didn't look like that was his specific role on that play, but he did find a way to work across that front side. He was able to feel the release from Mike Evans, uh, who was... I think Slay was over him on that play and make a play where, you know, you're not really expected to make that play because you're not fully responsible for that. But when you have that ability to kind of be an eraser for a receiver that would have been open if Blankenship 
didn't move across. And I mean, when Baker makes that decision to kind of load up and throw the ball, it looks good from the quarterback's perspective. But to yeah. have a safety that can break on that, that is really good. I think that'll also give Sean Desai kind of an encouragement later on as if he wants to play Blankenship as the, the lone kind of back safety because it seems like he can cover a lot of ground and has good instincts. So maybe we don't see a ton of that, but just having the ability to show that versatile skill set, the ability to feel what, where is the quarterback looking? Why is he looking that way? Let me close on this, make a huge play. And it felt like whenever the offense was lagging a little bit, someone on the defensive end came up. That was obviously that Jalen Carter forced fumble and it was good to see Reed Blankenship do that. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I think that, you know, if, if your head is spinning right now as you're uh, listening, just because all these, co- like, I think the key point there is like, yeah, that's not like really his play to make. I mean, he's he's in his zone on the other side. He sees it developing. He thinks he can make a play. He goes and he does it and he doesn't hesitate and he does it with confidence. And that obviously speaks to preparation as well. And it's not the first time we've seen that from Reed Blankenship. Like he, he's put these plays uh, on film before. So uh, I think he's a really good player. I think he's can continue to make plays for them. Uh, so that, that was definitely nice to see. All right. Anything else on the defense, Sean? I think we got to most of my notes here did i did i miss anything now you i was gonna ask you before so you are a defensive guy huh because i don't think we've took as you you wrote the big fangio piece you said landed you this job but you've also wrote a big shanahan piece which everyone should read that was getting passed around uh football twitter so i was like well he's done both sides but but you are a defensive guy at heart it sounds like yeah if if anyone had to ask i would say that i will say you know i think football is for everyone i i just love football (laughs) so much it's it's so hard to describe it i think it is there's so much to it the game is of course has been very good to me in different ways but the problem solving on defense is just fascinating to me because you don't know when the ball is going to be snapped the rules are against you the refs are going to make calls against you you have 11 pieces on your side that you can move in different ways but you don't choose when the ball is snapped now these guys are running these motions where it looks like we're playing in the cfl how do you solve issues on defense (laughs) to me is more fun than let me take AJ Brown on this one-on-one. Yeah, that's just me. You know, no no shade to the offensive guys. Uh, ben Johnson, if you're hiring, you know, I'm, I'm sure she'll can give you my number. But uh, I, I think the, the problem-solving aspect of it is so, so fascinating to me. And I'm sure it is to Sean Desai. And he's finding different ways to problem-solve based on what the offense is, is giving. Because, you know, week-to-week offenses, they can really stay pretty similar. But a lot of these defenses, you have to be able to morph week-to-week based on is your best receiver a slot guy or is your best receiver on the outside do you have a running game that we're really concerned about so i keep talking about the the problem solving aspect of it i know that offense is is so much more attractive you see it easier and we want to see points but i'm not saying i want to see zero zero every game i just love seeing defenses that it just makes sense what they're doing and this is this is a defense where it makes sense why they're doing certain things when you can plug different pieces in different ways and we just talked about the Reed Blankenship interception, having players that can take your scheme and then use their own instincts to add on to that. It's just, it's more fun than offense shield. Come on. There you go. Listen, this, I think most of our listeners would probably say the same if they're like me and they grew up with the, you first the Buddy Ryan defenses and then the Jim Johnson defenses. Uh, it, it's harder for me as I can, I can easily more easily understand the offensive stuff. Like here is here. Let me teach you inside zone. Let me teach you mesh. Let me teach you four verticals as someone who didn't play or coach. Like it's easier for me to pick up on that stuff, uh, which is why I love having you on. Cause you're explaining the defensive stuff to me. Now I'm just going to be yelling out X backer on, <laughs> on, uh, on Sunday when they take on, uh, the commanders, uh, 
I'm glad you referenced the questions we've gotten on Twitter and, and keep those coming because that's cool when it's like, hey, can Sean explain this? I like hearing that too. We did have a question on motion. Let's get to that next week. Someone was saying Eagles don't use a lot of motion. Why is that? Because I think that's a larger discussion. I think a lot of people uh, have that question. So let's save that one for next week and uh, get to it then. Let's finish with this matchup on Sunday. Eagles first commanders, commanders coming off a big loss. I think it was 37-3. The Bills, I rewatched that game. I hate to be the guy who's like, it wasn't as bad as like 37-3 is bad, but it really wasn't as bad as 37-3. It was 16-0 going into the fourth quarter. The commanders had all kinds of self-inflicted wounds. I mean, they turned the ball over five times. I thought Josh Allen was making a lot of second reaction plays. It wasn't just like dropping back and, hey, we're just going up and down the field. Like, that's why he's Josh Allen. He's able to make those plays. But uh, I, I, you know, Commanders won their first two games, and I don't think that game was as bad as the score indicated. So let's start with that Commanders offense against the Eagles defense. Eric Bieniemy goes from Kansas City to Washington. They have some success the first two weeks. Last week, like I said, five turnovers. They took nine sacks. Uh, overall, the numbers are okay. They're 12th in success rate. They're 23rd. In EPA per drive with Sam Howell uh, back there, sacks have been a huge, huge issue for them. He's been sacked on 16% of his dropbacks, where I think Justin Fields was at 14% last year, and that was like historic. So this is a legitimately historic uh, number of sacks he's taking. But uh, what do you see just from that commander's offense and kind of the ways uh, Eagles defense will match up to him? Well, I like that you said that the loss wasn't as bad as it looked. It feels like my positivity is rubbing off. You know, we can get our are matching encouraging <laughs> tattoos and that's that's my favorite word but the nine sacks that that's a crazy number and there's different ways that defenses can get sacks it can be that the coverage just did such a great job that quarterback has nowhere to go it can be your defensive line beats the offensive lineman sometimes it is the quarterback's fault where it's they either run into it or maybe it's avoidable in a different way so that's a big thing where even with the commander's offense that i think long term they should be pretty happy with sam howell where he is I think Eric Bieniemy is doing a great job. He is going to draw up coverage beaters for your defense. And Howell is going to take some of those vertical deep shots where I'm excited for this game because I think the Eagles are going to be able to get after it up front, but there's going to be a little bit more of a challenge on that back end because the Eagles are sorry, the commanders have really good receivers. They have McLaurin, they have Dotson. I'm more than happy running those receivers out as a unit. And it'll be, I think, a, a different sort of test for the Eagles defense where you certainly hope to be up early where you're obviously we'll talk about the other side of the ball, but able to get your pass rush going. But again, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Sean Desai does where this is another circumstance where it's not just one really good receiver. There's other threats that we have to deal with too. Their screen game has been very good, or at least it was the first two weeks. I mean, that's something against, uh, like you said, to slow down that um, Eagles pass rush. That's certainly in their repertoire from Andy Reid, the screen game. For Washington, their run game, Brian Robinson, 47 carries for uh, 216 yards. Like you said, I think the big mismatch is, I mean, Eagles pass rush against that offensive line, which I think uh, Brandon Thord had has like a, a bottom five offensive line going into the season. And you look at the sack numbers and it's hard to argue 
against that. So uh, we'll see. I mean, that that that's the matchup where you look at. It, and if you think it's going to be a blowout, it would be because I think the Eagles defensive line just dominates. Uh, Howell is not like, uh, you know, sometimes the younger quarterbacks are like, are they just conservative checking it down? No, he he plays like, um, you know, like he is a high level elite quarterback, a high level elite athlete. Like he is making some, you know, high degree of trying, attempting high degree of difficulty throws, trying to extend plays, uh, pushing the ball downfield so we'll see he does i don't know he does like i remember ba- the baker mayfield comps when he came out and i gotta say when i was watching him i'm just like yeah he does kind of i don't know if he looks like just actually looks like baker mayfield or he's playing like baker mayfield so i don't know if i'm taking like the cheap easy comparison or if that's actually a, a legit comparison there i do think one thing for hal of course you know he's really in his first year fully starting for the team sometimes it just takes an extra beat and maybe processing or or feeling out the whole entire route concept. Also, they like to attack down the field, so that forces a quarterback to hold on to the ball, which is natural for a young quarterback, especially at this point in their development. But what you don't want to have is the Philadelphia Eagles defensive line while you're also taking just an extra step. So where I do think that if I'm Washington, I want to find different ways to attack Job, where he wants to be more physical on defense, and I'm probably not trying to throw towards Slay and Bradbury. And I don't think that is to take anything away from Job. I think to... To be the third best cornerback in that room is is still to be really, really good. But that's where I want to see the commanders test the Eagles, partially because I also want to see just more examples on on our end, on the Philadelphia end of how does Job handle all these different situations where we're asking him to sometimes play zone, sometimes to play press and now play against really, really good receivers. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think that would be, I mean, McLaurin had a big game against them last year. Is it something to kind of manufacture uh, that matchup? I think, I think you're right. He's the guy and you're right about his aggressiveness. He likes to get up there and, and press and, you know, try to disrupt the routes early. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went after him a little bit in this game. All right, let's finish with the other side of the ball. Commander's defense versus the Eagles offense. Like I said, it wasn't like Buffalo was just, you know, going up and down the field. Uh, Washington is fourth in success rate. 19th in EPA per drive. Their defense was kind of keeping them in that game for a little bit, but the offense uh, kept turning the football over. I was looking at some of their uh, coverage numbers, Sean. They've really uh, mixed it up quite a bit. I mean, 10% or more of quarters of cover one, of cover three, of cover two. Uh, But quarters has probably been sort of their calling card through the first four weeks. They're playing it uh, at the second highest rate uh, of any team in the NFL. Uh, what do you kind of expect from uh, their tendencies, what they bring to the table uh, defensively, and what the Eagles would have to do to attack those things? I do think Washington wants to play a little bit lighter in the blo- in the box. They want to play those split safety coverages. They have versatility on the back end. And they do have an attacking defensive line that they have the ability to really, really hit their ceiling, I think, pretty quickly. Sometimes they can be kind of basic in coverage, but you're able to do that when you have an attacking defensive line. I will say it always feels really good. I think the first thing, one of the first things when I look at any matchup is, well, offensive line versus defensive line, defensive line versus offensive line. And I mean, every time for the Eagles, you're even if you're facing a unit that has guys that the commanders have, you feel pretty good about it. So that that's always nice. Yeah. I am curious. I think the Broncos had more success against Washington. I think it was in week two where they were getting the ball on the edge more, where Philadelphia, of course, is more of an attacking at you sort of run game curious to see what goes on there i'm curious to see if philadelphia is just able to run them out of too high because if you're letting up eight yards constantly to our good friend deandre swift you're not going to keep all your players back there 
So it's a it's an interesting defense. And that film was fun to watch because we'll we'll get we'll get Josh Allen conversations uh, with the Bills later on in the season. So always good when you have a crossover opponent there makes our life just a little easier. There you go. See, that's another coaching thing. The crossover coaches love the cross, you know, film Twitter. They love the crossover opponents. You knock out uh, two and one. Those perimeter runs, what are we talking about? An outside zone, a little uh, pin pull. Are there are there other schemes that you say, hey, kind of keep an eye uh, on these if they do decide to go that route? Yeah. So the Eagles are interesting because I don't think they run as much pin and pull just in general. Of course, we haven't seen it a lot. And pin and pull are crack toss is just another way to think about it. Very basically, you have an outside receiver, maybe a tight end sort of player where they're blocking down on the defensive end and then the tackle is pulling out into space. So that's a way to just get the ball further on the outside. Something that it's not exactly the same, but the Eagles will do it. They did it against the Buccaneers. Well, if they have someone who's kind of on one of uh, Kelsey's shoulders, they'll have the guard pinned down on them and then Kelsey will kind of fold behind them and up to the linebacker. Mm. So that that's a, it's a, a wipe call is one way that people used to call or to describe it but that's in the more wide zone world so that is one way where it just changes up the look based on what you're getting on the defensive front at the same time i don't know if i'm the eagles you don't have to be running crack toss you don't have to be pulling your tackles out into space on pin and pull because you're so successful running vertically i guess it's more that i mean i got to watch the you watch the dolphins last week they're just killing it running the ball to the outside another thing where you know we don't get blamed, I think, for looking ahead to other opponents. But obviously, you don't want the the players or the coaches to. It's it's hard to hard to see some stuff that other teams are doing and be like, oh, I wonder wonder how it's going to look against the Eagles. Yeah, now all these teams you're mentioning, it's like Eagles play them, Eagles play them. So it's going to be they they got some big boys on the uh, on the schedule here coming up. There's no doubt about it. So yeah, last I mean that defense obviously it starts up front. They've got Chase Young is back this year. Montez Sweat I think leads them in sacks. They've got the two tackles. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. You know, they haven't dominated up front yet, but those are all talented players where at various times throughout the years, they've given the Eagles problems at various times. Like you mentioned, Eagles offensive line has gotten the better of them. I mean, you can just look uh, at last year. I think Jalen Hurts is 17-1, and Sean, in, in, since the start of last season. Only losses that game to Washington uh, last year, which when they put up those stats, I'm just like, 17-1. and one. Yeah, your Eagles fans, there's not shouldn't really be anything to complain about uh, at this point with those numbers. All right. I think that covers the matchup. Give us, a, give us your plugs. You got a column you're doing every week. You got the podcast you're doing every week. People can't get enough uh, of Sean. So where can they find all, all that work this week? Easiest place, always on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, Syed Schemes, S-Y-E-D Schemes. On Tuesdays, I do a podcast called Stats and Scheme, very creatively named, I know. It's on the Sumer Sports <laughs> podcast feed where we take three topics, we look at them from, you know, I know Sheila loves the numbers and the film. Sheila, one of the originals here. But we talk about <laughs> film, talk about numbers. Uh, and then Thursdays, I, a column is also very creatively named the Thursday Three, where I just take three concepts, try and break them down, make them as simple as possible. Football is really complicated, but sometimes we can make it a little bit easier. And I think I might write about that little wipe call that the Eagles do. They, they, it's so fun when you have a center that can pull into space like that. So feel free, feel free to follow. Keep feedback coming. I know I talk a little fast, but well, she'll, we're, we're in week three, right? Can't peak now. Got to make sure we do it at the end of the season. <laughs> See, we're influencing Sean's coverage. I mean, got this national just 
up and comer scheme expert. And now because of this pod, he's putting some more Eagles nuggets in. Last week he had the Eagles nugget in the column. This week he's considering it. So, you know, keep pushing him to put those in there. I know some people ask, like, hey, like we like hearing about the specific plays. We can't see all the video. Uh Sean posts some like clips on his Twitter. If there's ever a specific play you're wondering about that maybe we went in depth on, uh, you know, let me know and I can easily uh, post a clip there on Twitter. Listen, if there's a really enterprising listener who wants to like overlay the audio of the conversation onto the all 22 clip, you're going to retweet from me. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you that much. That's not going to be in my bag. That's not going to be in Sean's bag. There's no way I'm asking Cliff. The Cliff's working like 19 hour days. I don't need to be asking him to do something like that. But if there's a listener out there, you know, maybe you're like an enterprising college student. And you say, I really like this podcast. I want to get into business. This is what I do, Sean. I have other people do my work for me. So go ahead uh, and do that if you want to. But I'll, I'll keep thinking about that because I do understand when people are saying that it's a little harder to follow when it's just audio. Wait, what play was that? What did it actually look like? So I think as the season goes on, uh, we can come up with more creative ways to do that. All right. Thank you to Sean. I'm going to come back in a minute here with Cliff. We'll give our predictions for Eagles Commanders. We'll talk about some other stuff. Uh, thank you to Sean. He'll be back on here next week. To everyone else, we'll be back in a minute. All right. We are back on the Riggers Philly special. Thanks again to Sean. I thought that was uh, fantastic. I learn stuff every week. We try to make it uh, digestible, which I think he does a great job of, and uh, you know, as it applies to what the Eagles are doing on the field. So continued feedback on that. You know, leave those reviews. I nipped Cliff. I haven't been like berating the audience to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, we've got yeah. this great show. We did the post game with Solak. We got Gannon Watch. We got Philly's post game pods coming. I mean, if you're not going to rate, review, and subscribe now, I mean, when are you going to rate, review, and subscribe? Right? We need some. We need some voicemails too, yo. I haven't been able uh, to really check up on it because we have so much content over the past few weeks. You know, two one five three one five seven nine eight two. Hit us up. We want to hear from Philly faithful, man. Like you got playoffs going on. You got the Eagles rolling right now. The Sixers are whatever, you know, the Flyers. Again, <laughs> I'm going to ask you this one more time. What's going on with the Flyers? What are they doing? What's going on? Yeah. Call my friend, uh, Charlie O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charlie. I'll, I'll Charlie. something. Yeah, Charlie. Listen, if they like make the playoffs or something, I have one call, one very easy call. Charlie, I know you're doing five podcasts. Uh, a week or whatever it is at PHLY, but he'll come on and talk flyers. We don't have to worry about that now. I'm going to hit up my guy, Keith Jones. I actually, uh, back in the day, I actually, actually used to intern for him. So that's my, yeah. Fun fact for now, all Philadelphia. Now he's running things. Jones. Yeah, he's there running the, he's running a shop right now. So I got to hit him up. <laughs> all right, let's, let's uh, finish on Eagles. Let's get to our predictions uh, for the week. How are you feeling about this team uh, going into week four against the Commanders? They are eight and a half point favorites, I think yeah. I saw. So they are big Pretty favorites solid. at home against the two and one Washington team. Uh, how are you feeling about the birds and what is your prediction for this game? That eight and a half, I think it's kind of big. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, even though the Commanders to me aren't very good. I just feel like eight and a half is just crazy for a divisional number. Um, the commanders didn't, they, they didn't get a put, uh, put a good outing, you know, obviously last week against the bills, we saw them get blanked. We saw, you know, Sam Howell, the future, you know, not look so bright on Sam Howell last week. <laughs> I know you had, I know you tried to like kind of moonlight it and make it sound like, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as it was, but they just, they're all discombobulated right now. They don't look very good. I feel like the Eagles are starting to turn the page a little bit. 
Um, I feel like up front, they can definitely dominate up front for sure. Jalen Carter, man, like bef- remember bef- before this guy, bef- man. Before the draft, I was talking about Bijan, right? And I was like, because I thought there was literally no chance of getting Jalen Carter. And somehow he falls to nine. And I'm just thinking to myself, shit, that might be like the biggest steal in the draft in the last, you know, four or five years, maybe. For him to to be by far the best player in this year's draft so far and get taken at nine because of, obviously because of issues we heard about, you know, off the field or some work ethic and stuff leading up to the draft. It's still crazy because he just went to the perfect spot to where all that nonsense is just going to be thrown out the window because of the vets there, because of the Georgia people already in the building there. It, you know, the, the the atmosphere that Philly has, like the no nonsense that we have uh, in the Eagles organization. It's a perfect scenario. And that hit he put on um, on uh, Richard White, man. That that was just crazy. Yeah, if the punt. He punched no the one's ball. holding on to that football. Yeah, yeah, like he punched the ball. Like <laughs> I wonder if he would have if he would have fumbled the ball just off impact. Like that's how hard he hit that man. It was he it did was crazy. I'm, yeah. I'm 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 amazed at, at uh, Jordan Davis and Jelly Carter so far in early returns on it. You you have, you mean you barely you haven't you've been raving about Jordan Davis all season. Last year you kind of were somber on him a little bit and well he didn't do anything last year (laughs) i just go by what i see i mean he wasn't good last year but he was a rookie so i said i'm not gonna bury him after one season like especially defensive tackles uh it takes some time and then he was fighting through an injury uh and then this year he's been fantastic i mean he is just wrecking stuff in the run game and then you're seeing uh some of the pass rush too and then yeah jaylen i don't think i take enough of a whiff i mean on ringer's philly special who whose mock prediction for the eagles was they're gonna trade up and draft jalen carter i mean i should be bringing that up uh like every week here Cliff, but you know what that's okay we'll have other i'll be wrong on other everyone likes to bring up the wrong stuff when she'll get something right no one brings it up that's uh okay but yeah he has been i mean like even if you had the highest expectations of jalen carter he has exceeded those i mean he legitimately looks like i'm trying to think like who you know i do that trade value column uh for the ringer and i'm just like man after three games i wonder what jalen carter like what not that you're going to trade him but you know who has the biggest trade value on the team or who's like the most indispensable guys on the team like he has just you know shot up those rankings is it jalen and jalen very quickly is it Jalen and Jalen? I mean, it's always going to be quarterback. Wide receivers always get a lot. So I think A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith would be there. Defensively, is he their most valuable defensive player? So right far now? this season, so far this season, who else has been more valuable, right? Like if, it, if, if it's like, who could you least afford to lose? You could make maybe a case for like maybe Slay. Slay. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say maybe Slay because of you know, his attachment Slay, to I playing think. receivers. But as far as like impact yeah. goes... I mean, I don't think that's a. There's even a question of who has the biggest impact on defense. It's been to yeah. me. It's been Jalen Carter. I think it's been Jordan Davis to me as well. Shout out to Reed Blankenship. He said, "Uh, yeah, I think he put on his Instagram milk check or something like that." He uh, on his Instagram. That's what page. Slay says. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to him <laughs> and shout out shout out to Slay too. So I mean, they and Decide. First of all, shout out to Decide too as well. Um, the defense has been looking real great too recently as well, and I think that's just going to continue with the Commanders. I don't really see a threat with them besides just them being a divisional opponent and the Eric Bieniemy factor. But other than that, I mean, they just you, – you see it, right? Like, they just don't have the talent. They have great skill position players as far as receivers go. But, like, I'm – like, I wouldn't be fearful of any of that talent because the quarterback is just – he's just not ready, you know? It's just – this is his first real season. He's putting under the fire. Um, they just don't have enough. Yeah, it's just it, – it's not going to work out for them this season. So, I think – 
you know, by four o'clock on a Sunday, the Eagles will probably be victorious. Let's say they'll get it right. Let's say <laughs> 28 to 21. I think the the commanders will cover that line. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> don't don't cover. Yeah, I I, I see. But it, it won't uh, look like it won't look as close as that score. Like a you know backdoor cover. Yeah, like a late yeah, yeah. Like it, or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. can see I, that. Eight and a half is big, man. I don't know. Eight and a half is is a little bit big for me. It's a big number. It scared me at first, and then you know, I, I'm listen. I last season when we did Philly special, I was getting these picks wrong every week. I don't want to jinx it. Three and zero against the spread. You know, there my you Eagles pick so far this season. I ended up. Eagles 27, Commander 17. I, I think just the the big mismatch of, I mean, the way J- we just talked about those guys, Eagles defensive line against that Washington offensive line and a young, inexperienced quarterback who was taking sacks on 16% of his dropbacks and a team that turned the ball over. Like, like Howell's not a conservative guy. Like He's going to try to do stuff, and I think that's going to play into the Eagles' hands. So I actually think like we could be talking about when, when Benny Souls and, and me and you do the post-game pod Sunday night, we could really be talking about, man, this this defense, we know it's not a great opponent, but they are really exciting, and they just like dominated this game from start to finish up front. So uh, that's kind this of the key game to me. Where, uh, yeah, this is a game where like as a, as a defensive unit, you're like, all right, I'm looking my chops. You know, let's get after. Yes, we had those stats. If if you're in a contract here, make sure you get some numbers in that in that box in that box score uh, for sure. Uh, And then offensively, um, I I do it did feel to me like they were close on uh, on Monday night against Tampa to scoring you know 35 points or so. I mean, the run game we think is going to be there regardless of opponent. I like the matchup of Goddard against you know, kind of those second level defenders on Washington this week. I like the matchup of AJ Brown and Devonte Smith against those corners on the outside this week. So, um, I don't, I'm not telling you like the offense is going to have like 500 yards, but, um, I think they'll play well enough. I think they'll get some short fields because of the defense. And I've got Eagles 27 commanders and special teams Eagles too. covering and special teams. Too. Special, how about special yeah. teams? Yeah, yeah don't, you're right. Don't forget I mean, about my boy when they don't play well. Yeah. yeah so give them credit, uh, for last week. When they played well. All right. Nats Eagles. Phillies. Cliff. Phillies clinch. Get it. Last Red night. October, baby. Let's go. I'm yo. I mean, this is this is the I can't believe how soon it. I mean, Tuesday is the first playoff. I'm not ready. I feel like <laughs> I need to be doing some like spiritual, like calm my nerves down uh before that game starts because we know the intensity of it. Uh shout out to guest, frequent guest multi-time guest Alex Coffee. her mm-hmm. social media like chronicling of just the celebrations is like Garrett we couldn't Stubbs stop watching crazy it crazy in there man he was yeah crazy. I watched Garrett the Stubbs thing. is just he's in every clip I mean yeah. he yeah my man, <laughs> in his he overalls was, he was wasted last night now he has to he has to start today they, <laughs> they asked they asked him hey it was like yo Garrett are you you have to play tomorrow you think JT is gonna have to deal he's like yep probably he had like eight Bud Lights in his hand he had the overalls going Gary, you definitely the life of the party this year. So shout out to Gary Stubbs, man. Um, shout out to the whole team, too. Just like bringing that excitement yeah. all season long, whether it was good excitement or bad excitement. So I saw a number. I saw a number from Corey Simon. Shout out to Corey Simon, uh, NBC Sports, um, Philadelphia. So seven times in the last 16 games, the Phillies have allowed the game tying or go ahead and runs in the eighth inning or later. Now, Oof. that's... <laughs> That is that is a first of all that is a lot. Yeah. Also very concerned. It felt because, like that though. Yeah, it has. It has, doesn't it feel like every single game it's just extra innings or it's like some late heroic double yeah. by somebody or somebody gets some crazy 
single or there's a big time home run in like the ninth inning or something like that. It just it it's been feeling like that the past couple of weeks. And that is what draws me real concerned because Nola had a great game last night. He played really well last night, tip of the cap to the crowd, looked awesome, came off the field, you know, gave Robbie T the ball. He, he looked happy, right? But then you, you get in there and I'm like, all right, it's Kimbrough's time. You know, he, it's time to get that save. I think he came in in the eighth inning, actually, um, a little bit earlier than expected normally, but, you know, whatever. And he just gives up a bomb to left field. And I'm just like, again, <laughs> like, watch, rinse, repeat again. Like, how many times have we seen this since All-Star break? Has he – he's had one of the biggest drop-offs since All-Star break I've seen uh, in quite some time. I don't have the exact numbers on – like what his numbers have been since all-star break, but it feels like every time he comes in, he's blowing a save or he's just blowing the game. Yeah, no, I, I'm, uh, I'm nervous about it. Now I will say baseball's weird in that you kind of go with a plan for all season and the playoffs come around and like guys roles change in the bullpen. And all of a sudden, like maybe might be Alvarado out there in high leverage situations. How about cousin Jeff? I mean, is there a is there yeah. a reliever you trust more than Cousins? A two point four seven ERA in fifty one innings this season. Like, where yes, would sir. they be without that guy? And then you Rock know solid. the excitement of the kid coming up, Cliff mm-hmm. Orion Kirkering, yep. and that slider. Uh, like, what kind of role is he going to play? So yeah, we'll get into all of that. We'll do a Phillies um, playoff preview. Uh, I'm with Shout you, Kimber. Like, Johan I'm Rojas gonna- or Johan Rojas. Uh, they both, Rojas. I think they both won the uh, minor leaguers for the Phillies organization, um, outstanding minor leaguers or something like that this season before the game. They were presented with some some type of plaque. So shout out to both of yeah, them. Yeah, and then Rojas being, has the game winner. Yep. That was awesome. That was that was amazing uh, awesome too. defensively. Yeah. So uh, listen, the Phillies for all those close games, Cliff, since June first, sixty three and thirty nine, twenty four games over five hundred, fourth best record in baseball. So. It, I looked at that and I'm like, that can't be right. I've had so many frustrating moments with this team all summer, but it's like, hey, you look at it at the end of the day and really after that slow start, they've been a top four team uh, in the entire major league. So they deserve to be there. They've got, they already clinched the top seed in the wild card. They're hosting these games Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Oh my God, I'm I'm feeling anxiety just thinking about like if they lose Tuesday or if we have a game three uh, on Thursday, we'll see who they play. We don't know that yet. Still uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, Cubs, Marlins, Reds, they're still fighting it out. So we'll see what happens there. But hey, uh, not taking this for granted. We've watched a lot of bad baseball teams over our lives. And you kind of watch all those bad teams with the you hope that you'll get a team of, that makes the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. And, and we got we just, that last year. We just we, went through like 11 year, years of dreck. Yeah. Yeah. Even even when they were frustrating, like they, they have been a lovable team. Like I, I will yes. say, like they're frustrating, but lovable where you'll, you just want them to, you know, um, do things. So uh, it was, I, I can't get enough of watching all of them celebrate like Trey Turner. I'm like, yes. who's that guy? And it's like Trey Turner. He's dumping Budweiser's on his head. <laughs> he's dancing. Yep. Uh, I love seeing the new guys uh, getting after it. I love Yo, everybody was killing him yeah. early in the season. Then I guess those round of applauses really helped him, huh? I guess it turned. I guess it turned around the entire season, huh? It's it's wild looking at his numbers now for the season. Like, how did he get to these yeah. numbers after what we watched through August third or whatever? It's crazy. Uh, it was so. Yeah. yeah. So what turned around for him? Bryce Harper, like I, I loved. They 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 panned the camera to Bryce Harper after Rojas got the hit and everyone celebrated, and he just had this look like, 
No, it hasn't even started yet. Like, I'm going <laughs> to chill back here. You guys right. can celebrate. All My business. time is coming. By the yeah. way, you know Bryce is in the lineup today, right? You know he's in the lineup today, I right? I saw that. How yeah. is he in the lineup? He must have asked to be in the lineup, hey, huh? Gee, that's the type of guy he is, man. Like He, he wants the reps. Yeah. yeah. He wants the reps. He wants to play. He doesn't want to lose his spot to Reese. <laughs> or possibly lose his <laughs> For, By the way, let me get your thoughts on that, too. Uh, like... First of all, I don't like the discussion of how they're already thinking about, hey, Reese could possibly come That's back. That's where I'm at. World. I don't even want yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. To like, check back with me at the World Series if Yeah. They get like, there. Why, why are we talking about a possibility <laughs> of a player that's been hurt the entire season to come back in a World Series? I don't like yeah. that whole discussion in the first place. And second no. of all, it's like, where would you put him back in the lineup? Like, no. none of it makes no. sense because, all right, so he goes to first. Bryce can't play the outfield. You don't want Schwarber playing the outfield, so he would have to DH. Right. Like, there's just so many miscalculations. Probably not going to be worth it. Yeah, yeah. It, and on top of that, you have a player who hasn't played all season. You're just going to prop, you know, prop him into a World Series lineup. That doesn't make sense to right. me. So I, I don't even know yeah. why people were even like hype about that or even like excited, somewhat excited about. That. I'm like, what? What's the benefit of this? It doesn't. You have a good lineup already. You have a great defensive outfield with Marsh playing left with uh, Johan Rojas. Playing center, by the way, playing excellent in center. And you got Cassiano, uh, who's been pretty hot. Center. Yeah, yeah, who's been has been pretty hot coming into the playoffs. So it's like, where, where, where does he fit in this equation? First of all, you have to get to the World Series. So why, are, why is this even being brought up? It, uh, it just yeah. that kind of threw me yeah. off a little bit. Well, I wait, like yeah, that. we'll talk about it if they get to the World Series. I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. If this, if this were like Bryce Harper and it was like, Hey, you can get him back for the world series. I'd be like, I'll do it. You know, I don't care if he's on one leg. Um, But you know, with the way the offense has been playing with kind of the fit, how they figured it out um, probably would not make sense. If we want to talk about that when they get to the world series, we will. But like you said, he hasn't like played. So, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see him celebrating. He's been part of the team. He'll be there in the dugout, uh, obviously a beloved uh, clubhouse guy. And so that's all great. But yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not uh, there yet. Now I will say, as we record this cliff, uh, they play here on Wednesday night. I know there was the celebration uh, for clinching the playoff spot, but, 88 and a half was the number over oh. under coming into the season. Your boy might have put a little lettuce on the over. And so if they win tonight, you know, yeah. bring the Jay Roger over here and we'll celebrate a little bit uh, for for a little win on uh, win on Fandle. So the season's not over yet. Yeah, just just give me a give, make sure you get one more win. I don't care where it is, who's playing, whatever. Just make sure right. you bump up to 89 because uh, uh, you, you your boy was feeling a little nervous yeah. at points this season. Like, we're not even going to be close you know, to you know, I'm going to say, you might not even get to the play, get to the wild card spot <laughs> with the way the Braves are playing all season and how you know halfway through the season Bryce is out the lineup, this dude's in and out of the lineup. It, it's oh, it looked bleak clunky. early on. Trey class. Turner's yeah. Trey Turner's not doing good, but the pitching held up a little bit. And not for nothing, we gotta we still gotta give our props to Marsh Stott and uh, Alec Baum for their contributions to what uh, they've done to this season and basically saved this Philly season. If we're being honest, right? Like from start to finish, those dudes have been rock solid. There hasn't been like any major slumps. Boehm playing basically two positions all season long, you know, jumping from first, going to third. I think he's at 19 home runs uh, as of Wednesday. He could, uh, he could be, he could hit 20 home runs, and it would be the first time in franchise history that six players on the Phillies have hit 20 home runs if he reaches that mark with the final eight. That's crazy, man. We were doing pods. I was on here at the All Star break, being like. Look at where they rank in all these power categories. And then all of a sudden, uh, they had that magical August and everything flipped. 
And now that's got to carry over into the playoffs. Again, we'll do a, a playoff preview, but my like last thing I'll say about the Phillies is just that like there's going to be all this talk about the pitching staff and the bullpen and you know, is Christopher Sanchez the fourth guy and what do you expect from Nola? Like I just go into this thinking the bats are going to have to like the bats mm-hmm. have to carry you. Like I you I don't think you I think your bullpen's going to blow games. I think your starting pitching's not going to they're going to have terrible sure. outings. The bats have to be the bats and those guys, those numbers you just mentioned, uh the home runs at home, uh I think that's really what's going to have to carry big them advantage. if they're going to make a run here. Very very yeah. big advantage. And I was going to actually say the same thing too cuz I was talking to a few friends of mine and they were like, "Well, the pitching has, has been great of lately." And I'm just like, "Bro, have have you seen these games that they're blowing late in the like sure the starters have looked somewhat yeah. decent but have you seen like late in these games dudes giving up leads i'm i don't even know like just from the from the machinations of everything like all right so when is robbie t going to trust lorenzen when is he going to trust strom when is he going to trust uh you know is he going to ever trust kimberly like, i me personally, bro, I can't. Anthony, yeah, you don't have yeah, the confidence like, that you had like last year. But who, yeah. like I said, all it takes is like if they play that first series, and Sir Anthony looks like he did last postseason, or Alvarado looks like he did at the beginning of this season, or even recently. I mean, Alvarado is the guy who I'm like, all right, he could take you home. Uh, I have confidence a little bit in, in him. August. Yeah, he was struggling a little bit, right? In, uh, and then he came yeah. back and he he started playing, you know, better baseball. And you know, obviously, we know he throws yeah. 98, 99, throws high heat, so. I would put my faith yeah. in him. I, I, sure. I can't put Kimbrel out in that in any more games. I can't. I if it's know, a tight game, if it's a tight game, <laughs> if if they have like a four run lead, all right, cool. Like I'll, I'll I'll do it because at that point I'm just trying to save an arm for maybe the whatever the next day or next game might be. But I can't put him in like any type of actual closing situation. I'm terrified of him mm-hmm. going out there because I've watched too many games, you know, into you know from late August into September to where I just see him giving up a home run in the most crucial moment of the game. And on top of that, I think he has the most pitch clock violations too. He's like 13. Oh on the my season. God. He, he acts like it doesn't apply to him. He it's said like, that. No, they, he literally has to it. abide by these rules. Yeah. He literally <laughs> said it. I'm like, bro, what What are you doing? Like, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> oh listen, I hope I have to eat my words on this, but I really can't trust him. Um, I've seen enough. He's clearly just not, he's, his arm is, not there right now. He's clearly he's cooked. Pitched a lot of innings and he's old. The, yeah. He's old. Yeah. The dude's 35, 35, 36, I believe. I something think. Something like that. One, yeah. yeah. One of, you know, something like that. It's just, he's, he's up there in age. He's, a, he has, there's a lot of miles in that arm. I can't trust I him. And I'm sure Philadelphia agrees with me because he, he, ter- he gave up more in, than, you know, you yeah. thought you were going to get for most of the season. But yeah, now we're at kind of crunch time and I'm with you. I'm like, oof. Yeah. I don't know if I can see him out there. So we'll see what they do there. All right, Cliff, let's finish with this big trade in the NBA. Dame Lillard goes to Milwaukee. It doesn't involve the Sixers, but Drew Holiday goes from Milwaukee to Portland. Now Portland's looking for a trade partner. I already said, who are you tweeting at? You're tweeting at the Sixers or Daryl Morey. Hey, go trade <laughs> James Darryl. Harden for Drew Holiday. You tweeted, I, tweeted I right tweeted at, at Daryl. Listen, knowing how online Daryl Morey is, he might respond yeah. to you and just be like, well, here's why we might do it. Here's why we can't do it. Here are my takes on the latest trends in, uh, yeah. in the cinema or something. Yeah. I don't know. He's very online. I'm, sh- I'm very confident he actually probably saw uh, your tweet to him regardless of his mentions. All right. Is, is this is this realistic at all? I think I saw Kyle Newbeck of PHLY say uh, that they do have some interest, interest. Uh, in acquiring Drew Holiday. So yeah. where are you at with this? So I'll, number one, I would love Drew Holiday to make his, uh, the prodigal son to make his return to Philadelphia. 
you know, Drew Holiday was a he was a casualty of the process, the beginning of the process, involved in that deal that traded, um, I believe uh it sent him to like it sent him to like New Orleans or something like that, but we got Charlotte's pick out of it and Neurons Noel uh came back in the trade. And uh it it would just it would give the Sixers fans some hope of like, all right, we we can at least be competitive like realistically competitive because we know we can't rely on James Harden in any type of big game situation. The dude was in a whole different continent and literally said, I will never play for this man again in this organization. <laughs> basically said, like, I, I'm not here anymore. Like, I'm checked out. I'm not trying to do this. However, come camp time, I'm sure James is going to show up, be a professional, do his job. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, just 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 be the James You're Harden. You're sure of that? Seriously? Yeah, I, don't, I don't think James would sit out uh, of like camp like what i don't know james doesn't give me that like he might do the fat suit thing you know remember i think <laughs> <laughs> i love how that's professionally <laughs> no <laughs> no but like all right so you remember He'll so you remember fat suit thing so, <laughs> i don't think he's even skipped out of camp uh even at houston when he wanted out i think what happened was, was no but that was he'll, a COVID. Yeah, he'll make it no you're right shows yeah, up it, and makes it uncomfortable yeah it was a it was a covid year and then what happened was with houston is that the COVID year, like, cut off training camp by a little bit, and you only had, like, two weeks of practice, and I think he showed up, like, one week in or something like that, was late and was just out of shape, and then yeah. he was just like, yo, I can't win it here anymore, and I just want to get out of here. Like, the thing is, is that was James Harden of old. That was James Harden of, oh, this dude is legit top 10 player, NBA, and then when he went to Brooklyn, he, you know, he was very good in Brooklyn. He was just, that team was just always hurt, and he was always balling. And then we know what that happened with the Kyrie KD situation, but he had all the leverage. He had people wanting him. They couldn't even make a trade to the Clippers for role players to get him back, yeah. you know, to get back any type of return. So I'm like, well, where, where does he end up landing at? Because the only scenario I see is either in LA with the Clippers and somehow they make a trade and push for him. And that would be for Drew Holiday, but you'd have to sweeten the pot and you would have to give up some type of picks, maybe a young player. I don't know who exactly would be involved in that type of trade scenario, but if they have to do it, I think they have to go after Drew Holiday and kind of salvage whatever this is because next thing you know, we're going to just be going through a process 2.0. I think Daryl Morey is looking real long and real hard at this situation like, okay, we got to make this happen by any means. So let's talk business Portland because we want Drew Holiday. I know he doesn't want to be in that situation. We know James Harden doesn't want to be here. Maybe we get another three-team trade going. They kind of match in salary so we can make it happen both expiring contracts Well, Drew has a player option for next season. So it, it'll salvage the seat. Like the Sixers will still be very competitive. I, again, I don't think they'll be better than Milwaukee or Boston, but I mean, they compete with the heat and you never know what happens in the playoffs. One injury, one turn ankle can turn a franchise's fortunes completely around. Like we've seen it the past couple of years. We saw, you know, Giannis last year with Milwaukee go down. We saw the year before that when Harden's, you know, hamstring popped out, and then we saw Kyrie's ankle blow out versus the Bucks, and they end up winning championships. So anything could happen. If Drew Holiday is on the Sixers, I think a lot of fans will be turned right back in and be invested. And I would love to see it personally. I just don't know if Daryl can pull it off. I don't know what type of tricks he has up his sleeve, but whatever he has up his sleeve, you got to make it happen. I would do it. I yeah. would try anything I could, I can to do it. Yeah, my general default on this Sixers team as they stand right now is like, I'm just going to be leaning into the hate. Like the way, you know, sometimes you just have a team you root for that you can't stand. That's kind of where I feel like I'm going to be at with this Sixers team, given how last season ended, given all the nonsense, 
uh, given MB's play playoff performance in Game Seven, there, given all the rumors we're going to hear about, is this it for MB? Is he going to be traded? Given how online Daryl Moore, I feel like I feel like Daryl Moore just has the media in his pocket, you know, with this like the James Harden thing, like uh, and, and all all the ways he kind of gets uh, defended there. So that's where I am. Like I have no, I have Sixers fatigue with the team constructed as it is, where I'm just probably going to be coming on here, Cliff, and ripping them once a week and being like, they annoy. Here's how here are the five ways they annoy me, and you're going to be like, oh, I can't take this anymore i'm gonna cut off his mic like this is enough that's where i'm i I kind of agree with you that that would add i'm not i'm with you i'm not gonna be like oh they're winning the title that would add some juice to me if they added uh drew holiday i think that's a a holiday that's such a nice fit next to tyrese maxi i feel like you have a guy who can defend who's physical who's a veteran won't have to do as much uh offensively you've got maxi and Embiid for that uh, obviously great teammate, locker room guy, veteran has played in big games, uh, 33 years old. Um, so yeah, that would, I would be like, okay, that's interesting to like, if they got rid of Harden somehow and got Drew Holiday and it was Holiday, Maxi, and B, that would heighten my level of interest and some optimism. And a Nick Nurse yeah, factor too, getting, right? I'm not getting sucked in and a new coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that too. So I'm not telling you I'm getting, I would get sucked in, but I would be like, all right, let me see what this looks like. I'm open to the possibility of good things happening this year. Right now, I'm not open to the possibility <laughs> of good things happening. Uh, with this. I mean, that's just how I feel. Do you feel differently? Like, no, how, how can I, you watch I, I the end really of last season and this offseason and feel differently than that? I, I honestly don't understand how anyone could. I don't. I, I don't. Uh, realistically mm. speaking, I don't really have like too much optimism just because they got older. You know, you got the James Harden situation, which makes things just like I, I still can't believe the team. Yeah, yeah. Like he just this, my man really was in China and said, "I will never play for this guy." Again. Like, that was funny. Just, I, just, listen, I'm team content, as you know, and that was good content, James. So yeah, but, I'll, I'll but back he, him on that. But he crashed. <laughs> he crashed his. He crashed his market out. So it's like we like now it's hard to get anything in return. But you know, Daryl's patient. We've seen it with Ben Simmons. You know, he's super patient. So I think Daryl's yeah. just going to wait for the right time to execute something, and then hopefully it'll happen because. Honestly, his days might be numbered if if this falls apart too. Because then next thing you know, Commanders GM say, Daryl yeah, Morey. Next thing you know, and B is just going to be like, theory. "Yo, How about I went that? out." Maxie's like, "Where the hell's my extension?" Like, there's there's a lot of issues looming with the Sixers if things just go completely wrong yeah. this season. Like, we could really be seeing another process 2.0, and I, show I don't want to see that again. I don't want to go to games where it's no. you know the 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 processing fee costs more than the ticket. You know, they're giving out nuggets <laughs> if you score 50 points by the second quarter. There's a frosty freeze out if somebody misses a free throw. Or something. Like, I, I can't do that, man. Like, I need to see a competitive basketball team. I need to see the Wells yeah. Fargo going crazy. I need to see the little kids in the stands doing it just want to rock dance. Like, I want to see all that, man. I, like, I, I just love the passion of, you know, having on a weeknight, you just fall back and you see Tyrese Maxey going off for 25 and, you know, they somehow yeah. edge out the Celtics in a close game or the heat in a close game or the nets, who, you know, whoever, like, I just want to be an impassioned basketball fan. Like I can't do this whole losing thing. Again. You want to fun? Here's what, here's what you want. You want a fun competitive t- This has been my long time there. You want a fun competitive team that you feel good rooting about. That's For what sure. you want. You nowhere yes. in what you just said did you say I want I I need like a team that's going to win the championship. You you're pointing <laughs> to no, it's true. And this yeah. is my theory on like yeah. on a lot of like you want on a Wednesday in January on TNT Sixers Celtics. They're underdogs. Maxi goes off. 
they win the game, you're firing off some tweets afterwards, <laughs> you're on some good threads, and you yeah. feel good. That's what you want. That's not exactly. th- that is not how this season is shaping <laughs> up at all. So I'm with you. That's what I want too. Uh, I, again, I didn't say they need to win a championship. That's what I want. That's not how it's shaping up. Uh, we'll see if they make some moves here. If it looks differently, they're going to be opening camp here pretty soon, and we'll yeah, talk. Under, it's like then. Under, all right. I think it's 29 days now. So camp's everything's still- happening. It's yeah. been, it's gonna about to get busy on the Ringers Philly special. Get those yeah. reviews in. Don't make me beg. All right. <laughs> Thank you to Cliff. That was fun as always. Thank you to Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. Definitely check out his Twitter account, Syed Schemes. He tweets out a lot of Eagles. Uh, Phil probably even more now that he's on the pod. He's like, I got to be content. doing this anyway. Yeah. So he he's tweeting that out. So check those out for sure. Benny Souls will be back Wednesday night. I mean, Sunday night. Sorry. With me. We will talk. Eagles Commanders. We will have Phillies post game pods. I promise you that next week. And I'm trying to squeeze in a Phillies preview once we find out who they play. So yeah, the feed is going to be popping. Is that (laughs) too old to say that, right, Cliff? Is that right? I might be too old to say that. My my birthday just passed. I might be too old to say that. That's right. Happy birthday to Cliff. (laughs) Cliff had a birthday in between like our last two episodes. So happy birthday to Cliff. Wish Cliff a happy birthday. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Cliff. As always, we will talk to you on Sunday night on The Ringers Philly Special. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.